This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Today, we're going to be speaking to Isabel Richards. So first, I just kind of wanted to start off and have Isabel give us just a little introduction about herself and how she got into the world of activism. So Isabel, thank you so much for coming on today. We're so happy to have you. Thanks, Juniper. So my name is Isabel Richards. Uh, I'm a sophomore at RPA High School. And I got into the world of activism uh, mostly through a lot of reading. I've always kind of liked to read ever since I was a kid. And I started reading a lot more books about politics and activism and just kind of bigger problems that we have in America, and it got me really interested in trying to help fix those problems. That's amazing. What age were you when you think you started to kind of become more self-aware about the issues around us? Um, I think I would have been around 13 or 14 when I first started getting into a lot of activism. That's amazing. That's a super young age. Um, Kind of just to pivot off of that, you know, coming into activism at a young age, what is it like being a young person in this day and age? I feel like being a young person in this day and age is really tough because between the time of me being a young person and my parents being young people and even my grandparents being young people, um, there has been a lot of technological innovation that rivals like even the Industrial Revolution. And so it's really hard to have adults understand um, and like relate to issues that I'm having and also to understand how I'm getting a lot of the information that I have. Because when my parents or when my grandparents were kids, they would have almost no way to come across a lot of the information about gun violence and other political issues that I have. And so it can be really hard to come across as a credible source when other people don't know how you're getting your information. Yeah, 100%. I also feel like there's a way of when you use the internet and how that is kind of used as a way for people to to discredit you and your evidence backing up what you have learned from that kind of resource. But kind of just to stay on the topic of like how different it is now, how is your personal experience experience different from your parents? I feel like um, when my parents were growing up, they uh, were a lot more accepting of just bigotry in general. And uh, now in more recent years, people have uh, really been a lot less accepting of bigotry. And so when my parents were kids, they would be able to just kind of ignore these issues and not really feel obligated to actually do something about it. But when I'm being exposed to all of these shootings and all of these like human rights issues, it is really tough for me to be able to ignore them. Yeah, it's a lot more in your face these days, not just because of the recent news coverage this issue issue has been getting, but also just the ability to just Google and see the name of the victims and just see all of these crazy facts at you about, you know, how the police at Uvalde didn't go inside and they didn't try to help the children in the way they should have. It's kind of like it's more in your face these days, but it almost makes it more scary. Definitely. So I know that obviously it is Pride Month and we've been me and Parker have been talking a lot about how we can highlight um, 
queer youth in our area and Isabel identifies as a young queer woman. So Isabel, I just wanted to ask, uh, what is it like being a queer person in Central Oregon? I feel like it can be really tough because Central Oregon has a lot of really differing and polarized political stances. Um, If I'm in Madras, it can be a lot less safe for me to be openly queer. But if I'm in Bend, it can be a lot more safe. And so it's really hard to determine when it's safe to be who I am and when I need to keep that side of myself more quiet. Yeah, totally. It's almost like living this double life when you live in this kind of area. Like there are some safe people that you can obviously share these kinds of, you know, just identities that you have. But there's always that thought in the back of your mind of like, oh, how is this person going to treat me differently because they know my identity? Definitely. Yeah. Um, Who is one queer icon you find yourself looking up to? I don't know if I can pick one specifically. But I feel like people like Freddie Mercury, Prince, Judy Garland, those kind of people who were really unafraid to be who they were um, in times when it was a lot less safe to be queer and especially openly queer. And I just find myself looking up to a lot of those people that were that just made such huge strides for a community. Yeah, 100%. When you hear about those kinds of people who not just like these days, but also in the time when it was like you could be quite literally killed for being gay or being queer and just being so unapologetically themselves, it's honestly so inspiring as a young queer person myself. So I know that a lot of people don't know a ton about Isabel. They've heard a little bit from like the walkouts in January, but Isabel is actually an amazing and very smart person. So Isabel, what do you have? Like what is next and what are your plans for the rest of high school? Um, So for my junior year next year, I'm actually going to be spending nine months uh, in France uh, as a student exchange, uh, which I'm really excited for. I'll get to really be immersed in the culture and immersed in the language. And I think it'll be really cool to make a lot of those new connections in other countries and experience a new culture. Um, And then after high school, I'm hoping to go to the University of Washington and get a degree in international studies um, and then work uh, in something adjacent to the State Department. That's amazing. So I've briefly mentioned the walkout in January. I also took part in that with Isabel and a few other students. We had a walkout on the 19th of January And afterwards, obviously, there was quite a bit of media attention around it after the Michigan shooting. But afterwards, there was not a ton of engagement, not just from representatives above us, but also just our local peers and the people around us and even just our school board in general. So, Isabel, after receiving little to no engagement after that walkout in January, what keeps you going as a young activist? I feel like... Uh, What got me into activism in the first place and what really keeps me going isn't the engagement, but it's just the things that are happening around me that I feel like I need to change, even if people aren't hearing my voice and even if people aren't willing to help me make change. I feel like just because I have been witnessing all of these horrific incidents of gun violence and human rights violations and just all of those terrible things, that has really kept me going and fighting the fight. That's amazing. I feel like in this day and age where it almost just feels like 
there are no, there's no one listening sometimes like obviously after a shooting we get that kind of media attention but then like it goes silent for a really long time and it's super hard to keep that push and that fight to want the change and know that how bad we need the change and not seeing that come from the people above us is insanely hard and hearing that you are able to keep that fight and not experience burnout that a lot of young activists feel is truly amazing. When you see the thoughts and prayers, not just from adults, but also the politicians that are above us, how does that make you feel as a student? It makes me feel really frustrated because I feel like having a job in public office isn't just something that you is it's not a hobby it is a form of employment when you are elected to a public office you are now an employee of the people and so when we say we need this to change that means that essentially your boss is saying you need to do something if i work at a job and my boss says hey do this thing i don't just say yeah definitely that needs to change we really need to get that done i go and do the thing and yeah. so i just don't understand how politicians and school board members and all of those people that are in these elected positions are just trying to give us thoughts and prayers and not make any actual real change when it is quite literally their job to make that change. Yeah, and they're getting paid for it and they're getting paid to do literally nothing. I also think that um, seeing people repost these tweets from President Joe Biden about like how we need to do this, we need to create change is a, honestly to me a slap in the face because we are out here, we are protesting, we are marching, we are walking out. It is not we anymore. It is you and the people around you. It's their job to make the change. We've already been trying for so long. And seeing a tweet like that is like, honestly, just so disgusting. I totally agree. So obviously, Isabella is a very accomplished and just such an amazing student. But I just kind of wanted to ask, you know, with already having all these responsibilities going to France next year, it's already very stressful to be a student. But what kind of stress does the amount of school shootings add to that? It's really difficult because I feel like when you're going to school, that should be a place where you can feel safe. Just like any other workplace, you should be able to go to do your job and feel safe and able to do that. But with having to constantly worry, especially being at a more, uh, I would say, liberally aimed school in a very conservative area... It can be really worrying to have to be constantly on your toes, hoping that nothing like that is going to happen to you. And it seems like it's something that like, oh, that only happens in the movies. Nobody ever like that's not going to happen to me, but it can. And it's more likely now than ever that it will. And so it can be really tough to balance schoolwork and working with college classes and having a job and going to France and working on all of these protests and those kind of projects. And then also on top of that, having to worry about being killed at my school. Yeah, and I totally understand that. And it's also almost like, 
you know, going to a more liberal school is obviously such a privilege as that's how I feel about it is like my school is a place where I feel relatively safe compared to how I would feel in another school in that same area. But it almost sometimes makes me feel like more of a target because they know what kind of people go there. Like if someone's a bigot, they're homophobic. Are they going to target our school because we have a higher acceptance for people because of who they are exactly it's scary thinking that like because our school is more accepting than other schools in the area that we might be targeted because of that yeah how has your day-to-day life changed since the most recent shooting in texas my day-to-day life has definitely changed because i've been a lot more aware uh in the past i have been really aware of these shootings that are happening but during the time that I have been an activist and just even in like my life that I can remember this has been the worst shooting that I can remember Um, I'm not old enough to remember Sandy Hook or any of that but I can and I always will remember this and so it has really changed the way I think about myself and my peers because it's I after Sandy Hook, we said this is never going to happen again. And then it did again and again and again. And so it has just really changed the way that I think about school and the way I think about our lawmakers. And it has made me a lot more active, especially since this last shooting. Yeah, it's just, I feel like every single time there's a shooting, there's a, oh, we need change, we need change, we need change. And then it's like, we forget about it. People don't talk about it. The conversation stops happening and we just let the next one happen and the next one happen and the next one happen. And not only do I have less hope in our lawmakers, I don't have any hope in our lawmakers. I don't know what they're doing right now, but I know that they're not doing anything to change this issue. From what I can see. Like, I don't know what else you'd be doing right now as someone who has the power to change this, to change the fact that fourth graders are getting gunned down in their classrooms. I don't know how you could sleep at night knowing that that's on your conscience. Exactly. I, um, during our walkout and our protest, I have been the person that has been writing a lot of our letters to lawmakers. Um, And I have made sure as much as possible to hold our lawmakers accountable in these letters. And as a resident of Oregon, I can't really um, demand that people from Texas do something as a constituent, but I can demand change as a person. And so I feel like writing from the angle of this blood is on your hands. You should be lying awake at night thinking of these fourth graders that you killed. It is you are the reason that these fourth graders died. And I just feel like holding them accountable is going to really facilitate a lot of the change that we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it seems like these people think that they walk on water, honestly. Like, they can do whatever they want. They can do nothing if they want. And holding them accountable is just so important because there will continue to be blood on their hands until they make the change. Exactly. It is their fault. And the fact that we haven't come to a place where we can just decide to have stricter gun laws is absolutely appalling. I don't know how many more lists of victims' names I need to read before it goes through everyone's minds what needs to happen. 
I think that being a student right now and not really like me and Isabel are both 16. We don't have the ability to vote yet. And, you know, we're constantly written out and written off in different ways. But I feel like more recently it's been like, oh, you're a student. You don't know. You're too young to understand guns and gun control. So, Isabel, how does that narrative of we are too young to understand make you feel? That narrative frustrates me so much because I have a hunting license. I can legally shoot a gun, but apparently I'm too young to understand how guns work. If the government is willing to give me a license that says I know how guns work enough to be able to legally fire one safely, then I they should also be taking my opinion into account when they're discussing laws around guns. Especially when our demographic and our like age is one of the most highly affected ones by this. These old people in their offices aren't being aren't at school with the thought of being shot while they're in class. The ignorance of saying that a student, a person who is actively in a state of fear because of gun violence, can't understand the issue is so insane to me. And hearing our lawmakers talk like that when we will soon be voters is kind of funny, considering that most of them will no longer be in office when it's our turn to vote. Exactly. So I know that you've kind of touched on the fact that you have a hunting license and you were able to shoot a gun. What is your thought on banning guns completely? I think that America has built a lot of culture around owning guns. But I think that that culture and the identity that we have created around the Second Amendment is not worth the lives of 19 fourth graders. And when people defend uh, our Second Amendment right by saying, well, you know, we have we have the right to own a gun. Um, You know, George Washington said that we have the right to own a gun. And so that means we should have the right to own a gun. I don't understand how people can say, oh, well, you know, when George Washington said that we're allowed to own guns that take eight minutes to reload and can fire one round at a time, that also means that we should be able to own AK-47s that can gun down a classroom of fourth graders in under a minute. And so I don't understand the argument that our Constitution says we should get to do this thing. And that just leads me to think that we don't need to have in this day and age, we don't need to have guns because the reason the Second Amendment was put into place is no longer as necessary as it was. And so if it is not necessary for us to own a gun and it's only a hobby like hunting to be owning a gun, then that is not worth the lives of 19 fourth graders. I 100% agree. I feel like when I have these conversations with people, it's constantly brought up like hunting or self-defense. And I just can't even understand how that goes through someone's head when we hear about these mass shootings. Exactly. Like... One of my really big passions is crocheting, but if 19 fourth graders were constantly being murdered with crocheting hooks, I would be totally fine with not being able to crochet anymore if we're saving the lives of fourth graders. I mean, it is quite literally common sense gun control. Exactly. So, (laughs) yeah. 
Isabel, when you hear someone say the things that they say when wanting to keep their guns, how does that make you feel as someone who could be easily a victim to this kind of gun violence? I think that when people are talking about like soldiers dying for our right for our rights that makes more sense because soldiers are choosing to join the military and defend our rights but when we say well i think owning a gun as a hobby is really important and so we can't ban guns you're essentially saying these this classroom of 19 fourth graders died to defend my right to hunt every once in a while and i think that if these fourth graders cannot join the military obviously we cannot morally say yeah they they died defending our rights to own a gun and so as somebody who could very well be put in that position someday as a victim of a shooting, I have not consented to die for your right to own a gun and neither have any of my peers. And so it's horrifying to me that people are willing to put their hobby above my life. Yeah, the just amount of absolute privilege. I just couldn't imagine being a gun owner and standing in front of even just like a protest full of like children carrying signs children as young as the victims of sandy hook and as young as the victims of uvalde seeing them hold signs of like am i next all of these heartbreaking signs and being like well second amendment i literally could not imagine being that kind of person so isabel just kind of to pivot off of like just what is happening right now i kind of wanted to speak more of what has been happening locally i know that we have personally have kind of spoken about the recent policy that was put into school boards, KGGB, which would prohibit the prohibit civilians from bringing weapons, including guns, knives, things like that, onto school grounds. That was approved in most Ben Lapine schools, but actually denied in our school district, Redmond School District. I just kind of wanted to touch on that because I know that a lot of people aren't keeping up with that and don't actually know that you are allowed to bring a gun onto school grounds in Redmond, Oregon. So Isabel, as a student in Redmond, how does that kind of denial of a policy that would literally keep us safe from guns make you feel? I would say my feelings about this uh, would just be, why does anybody need a weapon on school grounds if not to hurt somebody with? When people say, oh, well, it's my right to own an AK-47, what are you going to use that for other than to hurt someone? There are guns that were made for hunting that you can say, oh, I have these for a hobby. And there are guns that were made with the express purpose to kill people. And in owning those, you cannot defend that as a hobby. You can only defend that as it's my right and I want to spit in the face of these fourth graders that just died And so I want to own this military grade weapon. And so people that are saying, I think it's my right to have a weapon on school property are saying, I want to be able to carry something that can hurt other people in a place that is used to teach children. And the only reason you could ever want a a weapon like that in schools would be to hurt people. And so I don't understand how someone could defend that. 
I feel the exact same way. And I actually remember receiving the email, finding out that they decided to deny this policy. And our superintendent, Sharon Klein, had said that he is a practical man, but nothing about this policy is practical because when there is a school shooting, they will just call the police. But as we saw in Uvalde, the police don't know what to do when they are faced with this kind of violence. So kind of just continuing to pivot on this whole subject of the police in the scenario of a school shooting, did you lose any of your faith in our just like police in general after hearing the way that they conducted themselves at the Uvalde shooting? Absolutely. I cannot say that I have ever had a ton of faith in the police, especially since there have been Supreme Court rulings saying that the police have no obligation to do anything for us, even if they're being paid. And after Uvalde, that has just honestly cut the little faith I had in half. I have very little faith that these people who have sworn to protect us are actually going to do that because they've proven time and time and time again that they are not obligated to do that and they feel no more moral obligation to do it either. Yeah, just to hear the way that the police chief and just the governor of Texas conducted themselves at the press meetings afterwards was disgusting. I don't want to ever hear someone try to justify their actions like that when children died ever again. Just to kind of stay on this topic of Uvalde, I know that quite a few teachers ended up passing away during this shooting and they were killed by the gunmen who came into the building. And I know that a lot of the pe- a lot of people have been trying to get onto the board of like, let's arm our teachers. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand what kind of stress that would put on a teenager, not just a teenager, but even younger than that. So Isabel, as a student, how does that idea of arming a teacher make you feel? I don't think weapons belong in schools at all. And I don't think teachers should be the ones that are being trained to defend us in a school shooting. As a teacher, your job is to teach students. And so I do not believe that in any circumstance, the responsibility of giving your life for these kids and trying to defend them in the event that an armed person comes onto school property is just so confusing to me. I don't understand how anybody could think that arming teachers and training them to take down people that have weapons on school property, I it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, it's kind of like quite literally putting a Band-Aid over a bullet wound. It's not going to change anything. It's just going to make the problem most likely worse, especially when we have teachers who are bringing guns into the classroom. There's the ability of a child to take that gun and use it in an unsafe way if they're not locked up properly. And the thought of being a student having the stress of like, maybe my teacher has a gun in the classroom right now sounds literally crippling. And I don't think that I would ever be able to feel safe in a classroom again with the thought in the back of my back of my mind of, does my teacher have a gun in their desk? Exactly. And I think bringing more guns onto school property is just going to make the problem even worse because if somebody isn't able to get a hold of a gun and they still decide to go to a school, they now have literally one gun per classroom that they can use. And so putting guns in schools 
is not and will never be a good solution. Yeah, 100%. I feel like another kind of solution to this problem that I have found myself agreeing with more is raising the legal age of being able to buy a gun above 18 to something higher, like in the mid-20s. How does that solution sound to you? Um, I think that school shootings are more often committed by younger people. And so I think it could certainly do something for the issue. But I don't think just raising the age of being able to own a gun is going to be enough to really put that much of a dent into these shootings. So hearing that perspective on raising the legal age, I have to also agree. But if not that kind of solution, what would gun laws look like in your ideal world? I think that um, America will never be willing to agree that guns should be banned totally. And so I think it's kind of just unrealistic to consider that perspective a ton. But I think that uh, having a lot more intense background checks is going to be really important. And I feel like it's really hard to say Mm, I don't think we really need to do that because if anybody is worried about not being able to own a gun because of those background checks, then you probably are not the type of person that should be owning a gun. Like, if you're genuinely concerned you won't be able to pass a background check, then you genuinely should not be owning a gun. And so I feel like definitely instituting more background checks would be really important, especially since a lot of Americans uh, seem really... Uh, for those kind of laws. And then I think um, just cracking down on the type of guns people are allowed to own is really important. If you're owning a hunting rifle, I think that's more okay because that gun was made with the express purpose to hunt. If you're owning a military-grade assault weapon, that is absolutely not acceptable because that was made with the express person the express purpose to kill people. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I honestly don't understand why civilians were ever able to get their hands on these kinds of weapons. And I also think that after that ban on assault rifles was shot down to be, you know, re put into place. It really just everything went downhill from there. There was more mass shootings, there was more school shootings. And it kind of proves to the point that when there are less guns in America, there are somehow less school shootings, surprisingly. Um, so just looking forward, I know that it's obviously hard to be a student now, but someday you may choose to have kids. You may have nieces or nephews who are going to school. How does the uprise in school shootings make you feel about the future where you have children in your life that are of school age and attending school? I think that in this day and age, it's honestly selfish to be bringing children into this world. There have been so many issues with climate change and with shootings and just being alive in America is so dangerous today. And bringing children into this world at this time is done purely for selfish reasons and I think if you deeply want to have children, you should be able to do that. But I think that we need to have less of a stigma on not having children, first of all. 
And second of all, um, it just makes me so uncomfortable to consider having to be afraid for my own child or my own niece or nephew going to school and being hurt. I have cousins who are in elementary school, and when I heard about Uvalde, I knew that 19 children that were the same age as my cousin had just been killed, and that just horrified me. Yeah, even not from the perspective of being just like a mom, being an aunt, being an uncle, being someone important in a child's life and having that constant fear of them losing their lives in a school shooting is very scary. I work with kids and I know that not just being in the position of kind of a teacher is scary, but also just thinking about like when these kids leave the preschool, are they going to a place where they could be hurt by a school shooter or any kind of shooter? And it's just, it's really scary to have that feeling and that thought when having kids and being around kids is very enjoyable. But now there's this added fear of like, what's going to happen when I'm not around them? Who else is going to protect them if I can't? So kind of just pivoting off of what we have been talking about, about like laws and perspectives like that. I know that there is a recent, there's a march coming up on June 11th at 12 p.m., um, meeting at drake park and i just wanted to ask you isabel what kind of pushed you to become a part of planning this kind of protest um i think that protests like this need to be happening more often than they do but i personally don't have the resources to make that happen and so i have made it kind of a personal goal of mine to bring awareness as much as I can to the issue when big events like this has happened and then keep that awareness going afterward. And so I think planning an event like this and really trying to get involved as much as I can um, is going to be a really good way to identify myself in this community of activism so that I am a more credible person to continue this awareness even after events like this have happened. Yeah, I know that it's, I also experience kind of similar things with a sense of like, I am a student, I have other things going on, and it's hard to feel like I have to take on this entire like all this this weight of trying to solve this issue that is quite literally unsolvable without the adults surrounding us. So Isabel is really speaking to the heart when I hear that she feels that way, very similarly to how I do. So what are some of the things that you will be pushing for at this march and how can people continue to donate and support? Um, I think the main thing I'm going to be pushing for is just a lot of attendance. We're going to have uh, letters that we can sign that we're going to be sending to people in Texas and in Oregon that are pushing for a lot more legislation on the issue and then just kind of staying in the community and doing as much as you can um, would be really important. That's going to be kind of the two main things I'll be pushing for. And then uh, if people are at the event looking for um, ways that they can contribute monetarily, 
Um, I think I'll be trying to spread um, the Oregon ACLU as much as I can. It's a really cool program that I've worked with in the past, and I just feel like they have been really supportive and really helpful in a lot of my endeavors as an activist. That's amazing to hear. I am obviously, as myself, also just so happy to hear that there are so many organizations that not just myself, but Isabel can also look to for that kind of support and just trying to give back to them in the sense that they've given to us. Isabel, what can people not just your age, but younger and older do to help end gun violence in America? Um, I think people that are older than me, especially people of voting age, uh, really need to use their voice in the voting booth. Um, voting for people that are willing to do the work with gun violence and voting for measures that are going to help end gun violence is going to be really important. And then also supporting minors uh, in activism. It can be really hard for minors to have the resources and ability to put on a lot of these events and bring awareness. And so supporting minors as much as possible is really important for people older than me. Um, People my age, uh, social media is really big. And so um, bringing a lot more awareness on social media is really important because there's a really big presence on there. But also... uh, being more proactive and taking things off social media and doing things outside of these big events is really important. And then for people younger than me, it can be really tough because not being able to drive, not being being able to like be away from your parents a ton, that can be really hard. But um, just being around supportive adults and going to protests and doing that kind of stuff, as long as you're staying safe, can be a really effective way to help. Um, I think to anybody listening, it's important to know that you have a voice and everybody who you have voted into office, even President Joe Biden, works for you. And you are allowed to hold him accountable and you are allowed to demand more from all of our representatives and all of our senators and our president. Thank you so much, Isabel, for coming on Youth Radio Hour. You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit kpov.org slash critical conversations.